We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee. And we are sponsored by Cooperage. You can visit the brewery. It's in Santa Rosa. You can go to cooperagebrewing.com. You can order beer online, order it by the case. They'll send it to your front door if you're in California and over the age of 21. It's the single best way to acquire beer. Her sources, the latest run of Candlestick Chronicles has sold out. Uh, You guys did it again. So shout out to you guys for purchasing the Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA. The good news for you is... Everything Cooperage makes is good. So find a case of something and order it. And you're going to get good beer delivered right to your front door. Or if you don't want to order a case first, if you want to try it, head to the brewery. Figure out what you like and then order a case of it. Or buy a case there and take it home. I don't know. Up to you. Buy good beer, drink good beer. Cooperage Brewing. Let's talk about the 49ers Seahawks playoff matchup. We have a playoff game to talk about. We're going to get into our Cooperage six-pack. And then we talk with Danny Kelly of the Ringer, friend of the show. He is a Seahawks fan. Cut his teeth as as a Seahawks writer for the uh, for the their SB Nation site, and does a ton of work like with the draft and covering the NFL. One of my favorite people to talk football with. Had a really good conversation with him. That's also coming up. Let's dive in. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. Bosa's got him and a second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. By the way, on Cooperage, people will hear like, oh, the the hazy I, the Candlestick Chronicles hazy IPA is sold out. Well, they have other hazy IPAs. They have two other hazy IPAs you can get right now. So if you're an IPA person, hi, hazy IPA, West Coast IPA, pale ales, they always have something, like literally always. So if they don't have, if you really wanted the Candlestick Chronicles hazy and it's sold out, you can get, um, you can get a bunch of other hazy type options and they're all delicious so i have a friend who's a beer snob and he's like they have the best hazies of any brewer i've been to my former editor here 
at the Sacramento Bee, Jim Patrick was our also our resident like beer and spirits critic. That tracks. If you looked at Jim Patrick, <laughs> like that's a beer and spirits guy. But he loved he loved all of Cooper's beer that he's had. So good. And that's God like a highbrow right. like journalist. He sniffs the beer first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like sticks his pinky in it. Rubs I do it that, on his like, gums. Like jokingly. <laughs> <laughs> no idea what I'm smelling for. Sure. Uh the 49ers and Seahawks are playing in a playoff game. Which is weird to say. Considering that the Seahawks had a quarterback competition this offseason between Drew Locke and Geno Smith. And it was like, what a disaster. Finally, the Seahawks aren't going to be very good. Alas. They go 9-8. and eight. They sneak into the playoffs on the last day of the season. They beat the Rams with a field goal in overtime. And then Detroit beat Green Bay. And now we're here. And it's actually kind of fun because... And we talk about this a little bit with, with Danny Kelly coming up, but the rivalry just fell off. It was so fun. And then it just fell off so fast. And the way to rekindle that is for both teams to be good and to do things like meet in the postseason. So if this rekindles whatever was going on in, in 2011 through 2013, I'm all the way in because that was some of the most fun football I've ever watched. Yeah, like the, the Niners-Cowboys rivalry is a rivalry because of the playoffs, right? The Niners-Packers rivalry is a rivalry because of the postseason. So, yeah, like 2013, the NFC Championship game was awesome. Um, and that was, that's been a really good division rivalry, but that sort of took that rivalry to the next level. Like it was surrounding that game that was really the reason that th- kind of throughout the NFL, Niners-Seahawks was considered like one of the most you know, one of the most competitive rivalries in the league. So um, I don't know that the Seahawks are necessarily good enough for maybe this game to rekindle it. Maybe um, I do think the weather on Saturday could potentially be something that that makes this game closer than I think we we would expect. Um, all things being equal, like it's it's going to rain a lot. It looks like throughout the day it's going to be windy. Um, and of course, with that, like. I think turnovers could ultimately define the game. Like what well, one of the things, and we haven't talked about it all that much, but like the 49ers have been the best team in the NFL, particularly in, since their bye week um, in early November, They've been the best team in the NFL in turnover differential. And they wow. haven't had, they haven't had multiple turnovers since the loss to the chiefs. And of course they had three in that game and got blown out. They also had three in Atlanta um, and lost that game. They had three in Denver in week three, lost that one. And they had two against the Bears, right? In week one and lost that one, of course. So during their win streak, they haven't had a multiple turnover game. Um, they've they've only turned it over five times um during that win streak. So during the during the 10 game win streak. And they've gotten multiple turnovers in every game except two. Um, one being at Seattle. Uh, and the other one being at home to the Chargers. So with the weather, that's the first thing my mind goes to, right? Is there going to, is a football going to be slick? Um, is somebody going to drop a punt or, you know, is, is somebody going to fumble something that they normally wouldn't? Is Brock Purdy going to be more prone to throwing an interception? Like that ultimately to me is what's going to define the game. And it's not like super hardcore football tape guy analysis, but like, you know, I, I think, 
in a in a game where it's a 10 point spread with weather being a factor and it being and the surface potentially being slippery and all that i do think 10 points feels like a lot and if it's like a low scoring game even where you know if it's 17 13 something like that like that sure it could feel like the niners drastically outplay seattle but it could also be one of those where it's like yeah, the, the the score wasn't a real indication of how close it was, but right. it, the score is closer just because the weather was what it was, and it was hard for either team to move the ball consistently. Well, and it's so hard to win by double digits. Like the Niners were up twenty-one to six on Seattle in the fourth quarter in their Thursday night game in Week fifteen, and Seattle gets a touchdown with four minutes left, and they never got the ball back. It was twenty-one thirteen. They never get the ball back with a chance to tie it, but the, they covered. If it if the spread's nine and a half or ten points, so I, I agree with you. I think it's it's a huge number, and I would feel like, and not not this just to kind of get away from the the betting aspect of it. I feel like that would feel right though if the weather was going to be normal. Yeah, but the fact that it's going to be so wet now. Mike Holmgren was on the the show I produce on ninety five seven the game in San Francisco, and he said he mentioned that wet weather he thinks actually favors the offense more than the defense because Because, you know where you're going yes because like as a receiver you're running a route and defender has to a discern where you're going and then b keep his feet while cutting to stay with you and i thought that was kind of interesting but then (laughs) he fills that with the caveat of unless it's windy and winds are supposed to be between like 12 and 15 miles an hour in Santa Clara on, on, on Saturday. Not that that's a tornado, but it could be enough that it, that it kind of takes away that, that offensive advantage in the rain. So I'm, well, what, I'm fascinated to, to see how the weather impacts this one. What, what's the biggest critique of Brock Purdy's like just overall skill set? His, his arm strength, his arm strength. Right. And that's yes. generally like what shows up most in the wind, right? Like, it's not like he can make all the NFL throws, sure, but a differentiating factor in terms of arm strength is like, can he make that throw into a 20-mile-an-hour wind? Right. And we we haven't really seen Brock Purdy have to do that. I would guess it would be kind of difficult. And I, w- I would think, too, that Kyle Shanahan, if the weather is is problematic, is going to be super conservative. And and just to that to that point, Kyle Shanahan knows Brock Purdy's limitations. He's not going to dial up a game plan. He's not going to look at the weather report and go, okay, winds are supposed to be blowing this hard. We're going to run a bunch of deep passes. Yeah, 55 <laughs> throws, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I think that there's going to be a semi-conservative game plan just from a just from a depth, a passing depth kind of perspective. And I wonder if it looks a little bit like, remember the the Rams game in 2020? where Garoppolo came back from the ankle injury and couldn't step into his throws. So he had an average depth of target of like negative four. Debo Samuel had like eight touches and they're all like gadget plays. Yes. Right. And they just, they just tore up the Rams and then they eventually popped one to Kittle over the middle. Like it wouldn't surprise me if it looks like that where just easy throws, rhythm throws, Samuel McCaffrey. I'm expecting a lot of Elijah Mitchell it's it's the Niners have the weapons to put together a game plan like that and have it work for a week. 
I, I don't think they could do it every week because eventually the a defense is going to condense itself and figure it out. But for for a week, I think the Niners can make it work. And I think yeah. that's what it's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, and look, like, we, we were just talking about it before coming on. The Thursday game against Seattle a few weeks ago was a one-score game, really, until Travis Homer fumbled, and then Mooney Ward picked it up and took it back inside i think it was inside the 10 or inside, inside the, the five. five yeah inside the five and then christian mccaffrey scored and it was a 14-3 game like it looked like the niners were controlling the game throughout the first half but it was really only 7-3 to that point and at that point like it doesn't matter if you're controlling the game one bad bounce seattle right. could potentially be right back in it now the second half felt like the 49ers were controlling the game more more than the score indicated because there was a pick six I was negated by you know a soft Nick Bosa roughing the passer <laughs> penalty um which obviously would have changed things but yeah I mean I'm I I do think there's a possibility that it ends up being a lot closer than we would anticipate but also too like is is the real Geno Smith gonna stand up like are are we expecting right. Geno Smith to come to Santa Clara against the best defense in the league in the rain and do what they need to do to win. Like that's, that's a huge ask. And it could be like Gino throws three picks and everything we're talking about is null and void. Cause like that, that's certainly a possibility. Like, I don't think anybody should be surprised if that happens, but to that end, like Gino has had a really good year and Seattle does have good receivers and a good running back. So you know, I think the 49ers are going to win in the trenches, um, but things could happen that maybe make this a little bit more unexpected, like then the results a little bit more unexpected, just because not that I like, I really don't think the Seahawks have much of a chance to win, but I do think it could be one of those things where it's like ugly throughout and the 49ers end up winning by six or four points, not, you know, 14, like the, the 10 point spread might in, might signal. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's kind of where I'm at too. And the only way I can draw a Seahawks win is that weird stuff. I, I just the, the Seahawks aren't going to line up and just beat the Niners. Right. And San Francisco is just too good. And frankly, I don't know how many teams in the league can just line up and and beat San Francisco. Now, there's a couple variables here. Um one is this is the first time? Well, there's the weather, but then, but then, this is the first time Brock Purdy will face a team for a second time. So I'm interested to see how that plays, and I'm interested to see how it plays that it's a playoff game, because every former NFL player, and I think I brought this up earlier in the week, but every former NFL player that that talks about the playoffs talks about how different they are, because you know there's no next week. So now your mistake isn't ah, we'll fix it, we'll fix it in post, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll fix it next week. It's, oh, that's a mistake that could end our season. And so I think Purdy has the mental makeup to to be fine with that and to figure that out. But you don't know until you see it, right? Yeah. So those are those are the couple things that I that I, you know, if you're gonna be wary about something, that's that's where my my concern would lie. I think my I think the thing that is ultimately gonna define the game is going to be the versatility of the 49ers running game. Mm -hmm. Like the Seahawks are allowing 
almost five yards a carry. They're 26 in the league in that. They're 30th in overall rush yards per game allowed. Um, with Christian DVOA, with Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell, like Kyle Shanahan could run a lot of stuff he hasn't put on tape yet mm-hmm. and just get really creative in the running game and just really put Seattle in a bind in terms of like threatening the edges and running, you know, running Debo on an option uh, on an option fake and then having Christian McCaffrey go the other way. You know, that that play we always talk about the preseason Jalen Hurd play. Right? Like the <laughs> right. the Raider the Raiders game a couple years ago in the preseason, it's like they had three different options on this play. It was a run left, it was a run right, Elijah Mitchell. It's like they're doing that potentially with elite skill guys. Like they mm-hmm. could they could really put defenses in a bind that way. And that ultimately might be what what sort of defines this game. It's like, oh, well, it was close, sort of. But then the Niners just started doing a bunch of super tricky things in the running game and and the Seahawks didn't have any answers for that. And it might be that Brock Purdy, you know, throws the ball 15 times. Would it shock you if Sunday goes like the 2019 NFC Championship? Where maybe maybe the distribution of touches is different, but they run it like forty two times for two hundred and eighty five yards. And Purdy has eight pass attempts. Times. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Me neither. Maybe uh, maybe the pass attempts go up a little bit because Shanahan trusts Garoppolo uh trusts Purdy more than he trusts Garoppolo. But like if I if I set the over under on pass attempts for Brock Purdy at like nineteen and a half, would that under. be an easy over? Under. Easy under for you. Yeah. Okay. Easy under. Yeah. Like 19. Like, I think he's probably going to have like 15 pass attempts. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah, more. I, I don't know. He's going to try and run the hell out of it. I, w- I would expect Pete Carroll to just load the box with nine and 10 guys the entire game and then just say, all right, well, if you're going to win, it's going to be with Brock Purdy beating us over the top. And yeah. in rain and wind, like, that would be kind of a dubious proposition, I think. But I yeah. still think even if you're packing the box like that, Kyle Shannon can get creative enough to where. If they exit, like if the offensive line and tight ends and and Kyle Uschek in particular ex like execute their double team blocks that they're so good at, mm-hmm. particularly on the outside zone runs, like they're gonna be they're gonna be some chunk plays. They're gonna be like a lot of like two yard gains, but there's a potential that they could rip off some like twenty and thirty yard runs here and there too. Yeah, yeah. Something I always think about with that Jimmy Garoppolo game, that NFC title game is there was a throw to Debo early in the game over the middle where he like railroaded the safety and the safety like dragged him down by his shoelaces. And if he doesn't do that, he's gone. And all of a sudden Garoppolo's stat line is like a hundred and something yards and a touchdown. And I always wonder like how we, how we talk about that game if that didn't happen. Total sidebar, but I just remembered that. I'm so conflicted when I think about that game because Part of me is just like, yeah, it was probably a pretty big indictment of Jimmy Garoppolo. But on the other hand, it's like when you're running the ball that well, and I think this is Kyle Shanahan's point, at least what he says publicly. When you're running the ball that well, why do you have to do anything else? No, to like to a hundred percent. And I don't want to relitigate this whole thing, but my argument has always been if Patrick Mahomes is quarterbacking the 49ers there, they're not throwing it eight times. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but Kyle Shanahan to his core, like, loves to run the ball. 
Yeah, and I mean, when you're ripping off six point eight a carry, like that's a that's an outlier for sure. So, but but it, it 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 here's here's always been my thing with it. Garoppolo threw that interception at the end of the first half against the Vikings, and then proceeded to throw it. I think it's fourteen times over the next six quarters. Like yeah. that's that. Hmm. Yeah, I, they could run the ball though. I don't think it was like they would have thrown it 25 or 30 times, but there definitely would have been some more throws, I think, mixed in. Yeah, I, and I again, who the hell knows? I'll, I'll re- reiterate the fact that, like, I think the big differentiator, I've said, I think I've said differentiator like 25 times already on this podcast, but Shout out. I, I, I think the, the difference in the way Kyle Shanahan views Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy is that he does not think Brock Purdy puts the ball at risk nearly as much as Jimmy Garoppolo does. Right. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong and maybe we do see, you know, 25, 30 pass attempts from Purdy on Saturday, despite the conditions. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. That's, that's the fascinating thing about this game is that we get Brock Purdy in a playoff scenario for the first time. Yeah. Very, very interesting. You want to do a six pack and then talk to Danny Kelly. Let's do the Cooper six pack. Cooper's six pack. Burr, 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 burr. Tyler, do we have air horns that we can drop in there? If we do, let's do that. <laughs> Who picks first? I'm going cr- to cross my fingers that he did it, and I'm going to go, hell yeah. Love the air horns. I don't know. Who did it? Who? You can pick first because I picked Drake Jackson last week and he didn't suit up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The brand is strong. You're gonna- you're going to love the Nick Zakel pick at the end of this one. <laughs> All right. So Kruger. because it's playoff time, I do feel like we don't have the liberty to just go all hipster picks um, just to try to talk about new things. I think we have to take these a little seriously, which means going um, with a lot of chalk. Uh, I really want to take Christian McCaffrey for all the discussion that we just had. I really do. But Nick Bosa is the 49ers best player. IMO. And I just feel like that in the rain to Mike Holmgren's point, like I think that's going to give pass rushers more of an advantage than offensive linemen because pass rushers know where they want to go. Right. It's similar in like receivers running routes for his cornerbacks. The dynamic is obviously flipped because they're on deep. The pass rushers are on defense, but they know what pass rush moves they want to do. And the offensive linemen are reacting to them. Um, so I think the weather could be an advantage for Bosa. Um, I think he's just, he's a really good player, but he's also like, you remember watching him in the playoffs. He's just takes it to like a little bit higher level, even in the postseason, if that's even possible for Nick Bosa. Um, so if Nick Bosa has like two and a half sacks and one of them ends up forcing a fumble or, you know, causing an interception or something that wouldn't really surprise me at all. Uh, because that's just how good of a player I think he is. So my first pick is going to be Nick Bosa. That's a good pick. I think he's going to have an excellent game. I'm picking Christian McCaffrey. The 49ers gave him 13 touches last week. He had his ankle injury taken off the injury report. It was just that knee that's been a thing since 
whatever week nine or ten or whatever. But I guess week nine was a bye, so maybe week ten or eleven. But I think that this is just a prime, like this is the reason they got Christian McCaffrey type of game. They're going to run the hell out of the ball. It's going to be a lot of short throws, and he's just going to do Christian McCaffrey stuff. For the sake of the bit of like you picking somebody who doesn't end up playing, like this is going to be like a three touchdown Tevin Coleman game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to get a ton of Jordan Mason. <laughs> um, no, I like the pick, obviously. McCaffrey's been, it's, it's been really kind of remarkable how good he's been. Um, that trade, that running back trade has probably been better than I think anybody could have anticipated even. Um, yeah, good pick. All right. I'm going to go more chalk because I have to, and I, I'm going to look up his game log just to be sure I have his numbers right. Um, I'm going to go with George Kittle, who has okay. seven touchdowns in the last four weeks, including a two-touchdown game that Thursday night, December 15th, up in Seattle. When there there's a game, whenever there's a game that the 49ers are going to run the ball a lot, I tend to think that's when George Kittle is going to get the most looks in the passing game because of what he can do in play action. Sure. Um, because when teams are like, oh, the 49ers are running the ball, they just assume George Kittle's blocking. And then they're looking, they have their eyes in the backfield. And then all of a sudden, George Kittle, one of the more athletic tight ends in the league has a head start on whatever route he's running. Right. And there are so many opportunities that Kyle Shanahan can create through scheme that can get George Kittle separation. And that's why you see, you know, like he, a lot of his touchdowns are just like, Oh, George Kittle's open because they ran flow or, you know, they ran a misdirection play or whatever. Like, right. There obviously there have been times where George Kittle is like covered and and he's he's making a a contested catch, but a lot of times too it's just like nope George Kittle with ten yards of space and a head of steam and it's like nobody's tackling him, right? And so if George Kittle had a touchdown or two that looked like that on Saturday, that wouldn't really surprise me either. In his last three games against the Seahawks, so going back to last year. He had two last year, and then he missed week two this year and had the week 15 game we talked about. 17 catches, 314 yards, and four touchdowns in three games. That's good. And in the game where he had four catches for 40 yards, that was at home last year, uh, he had 10 targets. Like, they they tried to get him pick. I think he's going to have a huge game. And... um. Yeah, I have I have nothing to add. My next pick, not necessarily coming for your your head on this, but I think it's please say Charlie Warner. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm gonna take Eric Armstead. And I actually think this could wind up benefiting the Nick Bosa pick because the Seahawks against the Niners in week 15 just did not have an answer for Eric Armstead. He was a monster. There are times where an interior defensive lineman will have like a really good game and you'll hear coaches rave about it. And you're like, I did not even notice that player on the field. 
at least on you know first watch when I'm when I'm locked into the game and, and what's going on. Eric Armstead had one of those games that, as an interior lineman that week where you noticed just the havoc he creates. And for as good as Seattle's rookie tackles are, I don't think their interior is ready to handle Armstead. Like I, I just don't think that there's a that there's a fix there. Because if you try and fix that, you're you're leaving you're leaving guys on an island with with a good group of edge rushers. So I think Eric Armstead's gonna have a big game. Whether he has a sack or not, like I, I don't I don't know. I just think that there are gonna be several times where number ninety one flashes and uh and you get to like, oh wow, Eric Armstead. And maybe the broadcaster, I think it's Joe Davis. Maybe maybe Joe Davis says something to the effect of like, you know, he doesn't get a lot of attention or he's one of the unheralded stars of this defense kind of thing. Eric Armstead, shout out. I like the pick. Um, you know how much of an Eric Armstead guy I am. Uh, I do want to say. Yeah, 916, shout out. Uh, I, say it upside down. Doesn't doesn't work. Uh, say it upside down. Sure. Say it Hang upside on. down. You do that. I'll do this. Um, George Kittle. You know how many postseason touchdowns George Kittle has? Postseason touchdowns. Let me think. I don't think he has one. His only postseason touchdown came in the NFC title game last year. Okay, I was couldn't remember if that was week 18 or the NFC title game. In wow. six postseason games, he has 15 catches for 179 yards. So George Kittle has not been a huge factor in the passing game in the postseason. Yeah. So I kind of another point I wanted to make in picking him is that this might be like the George Kittle postseason. Okay. Um I like it. So there's going to be weather on Saturday, Kyle. Don't do it. Special teams is going to be a huge God factor in the low it. scoring game. <laughs> okay. Mitch Wisnowski, your guy, leads the NFL in punts that end up landing or going inside the 20 yard line. He sure does. 52.5% of his punts. It's going to be a tight game. Tighter than the 10-point spread, I think. Field position is going to be huge. Hell, being a holder, field goals and extra points could be massive in this game. Okay. Mitch Wisnowski's the pick. Of course he is. Why wouldn't he be? (laughs) Because punting's important. And let's face it, I went super chalk in my first two picks, and I've kind of been waiting for an opportunity to take Mitch Wisnowski in a big moment. And this is the biggest moment of the season so far. Okay. So going with Mitch. I kind of actually like it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> so that bums me out. Because I know like there's actual reasoning there, but also like that's a little bit of a bit. And I had done my picks based on like, okay, we're going chalk. So with that said, I'm going to put a pin in one because I do want to talk about this player, but not for the six pack necessarily. 
I'm gonna pick. Ooh, I have two separate ones. The 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 little bit different hipster one. Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm picking Traverius Ward. Okay. And I was going to say Diamador Lenore, but I'm picking Traverius Ward because if he can do what he did on Thursday night. Where again, he didn't shut down DK Metcalf. I think I think Metcalf still had 91 yards. But if he can follow DK Metcalf and just be on an island with him and limit him and keep him from just blowing the roof off the game, then that allows the Niners to do things to help out Diamondor Lenore, who will inevitably be the focal point of the Seahawks offensive attack through the air. Like they're gonna look at what the Raiders did. They're gonna look at a couple of bad plays against against Arizona, uh, particularly the AJ Green touchdown on the second play of the game. And they're gonna go, we're getting Tyler Lockett on that guy. We can. We're getting DK Metcalf on that guy, and gonna go at it. And so if Traverius Ward can follow DK Metcalf, that takes that matchup off the board, and allows the 49ers to commit more resources to helping out Diamond Lenore. So I'm taking Mooney Ward, not necessarily for his performance, but what his performance could do for the rest of the Niners secondary. I like it. It's a good pick. Thanks. It's a good Can pick. we talk about Debo real quick? Debo Samuel? That's the player. Yeah, let's do it. What Ever heard have? of him? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to take him in, in the six-pack, but then you did Wishnowski. I was like, okay, I'll go a different route. <laughs> you really threw me off. But It's what I do, get in your head. We've seen him have some big games against the Seahawks. And he did not play against them in week 15. And I just think what we were talking about earlier with the Niners possibly putting together a run-heavy game plan, a quick-pass-heavy game plan, a pop-pass, little shovel-pass thing, heavy game plan. I could see Debo Samuel having a like like 10 or 12-touch game where it looks a little bit like last year Debo Samuel. He had a slow week 18 and he's coming back off the injury. They didn't want to they didn't want to run him into the ground. So he's a he effectively had a bye week. And now he's another week returned from his injury. I think Debo is going to have a massive game. Okay. And you mentioned you were talking about Kittle and I think the Seahawks are going to devote a ton of resources to trying to make sure he doesn't go off and that's just going to I think allow Debo to eat. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, I uh, I like it. Thanks. I like it. Um, remember, it was on this very podcast where Debo Samuel said that the Niners' biggest rival is Seattle, not the Rams. Yeah, because the Rams are the big story, right? They beat them a bunch of times in a row, but then NFC title game, and they were both good, and the matchups are always like electric, like big-time things. And he was like, nah, it's not that. Yeah, Seattle. <laughs> it's a team we have not beat eight times in a row. It's like, yeah. oh, fair enough. Yeah, so I uh, I like I I like the Debo pick as well. like it's hard it's hard not to like the Debo pick in in that scenario. I do wonder how much they would want. What it's worth. Yeah, I do wonder how much they would want to lean on him, given that he's coming off the injury because they do have other options, right? Like, could it could it be like, oh, we don't love we don't love the way Debo's running it right now, but we will use the hell out of him as a decoy. 
like he'll be one of the guys mm. they fake to and then find George Kittle wide open over the middle. Sure. You know what I mean? So yeah. like it, it's either okay. way, whether he's touching the ball or not, like I do think his fingerprints are going to be all over the game. Like even if he only has four touches, yeah, he could like there could be a touchdown play where they fake it to him and then three defenders react to that. And then there's Christian McCaffrey out the backside or George Kittle over the middle or whatever. Sure. You know, so. Honorable Dynamite. mentions. Debo I mean, was an honorable mention. Debo, honorable mention. Brandon Ayuk could certainly be a guy that has a big Talano game. Hufanga, can he not allow a long touchdown? Yeah. Um, Samson Abukam, Charles Amenahu. No Fred Warner picked in pick six. Interesting. Dre Greenlaw always makes big plays against the Seahawks. Especially when when Geno Smith, who wants to live in that short to intermediate area. Yeah. Having linebackers who are going to take that away just makes things so much easier for, for everyone yeah. else. We should point out that the 49ers are pretty healthy and Dre Greenlaw is going to be back. Demetrius Flanagan Fowles is going to be back. Aaron Banks is going to be back. Um, so all these guys, the the injury report has come out. All those guys will be back at playing. Yeah. So hell yeah. Can't wait. It'll be fun. It'll be a fun little playoff game. I hope so. Um the league all right. does not think it's going to be very fun. That's why it's at 1 30 on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, that was a little strange. Yeah. But I don't know. We don't need to relitigate that. Yeah. We can we can talk about scheduling next week too. We can also talk to Danny Kelly. Let's talk to Danny Kelly. This was a fun one. Danny's really good and knows a lot about the Seahawks and uh, just football in general. Just there's high, a dog. His dog, yeah, just high high quality football content guy and person, just in general. Yeah, good thing. hang. All right. Okay, friend of the show, Danny Kelly. He's here. Danny Kelly is here. Here we go. Good start. This is what your third or fourth time on the pod. Yeah, at least I would say. I think it's you and Joe Fan, probably nice. lead lead the league in in candle crown appearances. That's <laughs> Joe's big awesome time. too, man. I love Joe. Mm. <laughs> He's all right. We we do a dynasty league. He's cool. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. How uh how well let's let's start here. So you're fantasy football guy. Mm-hmm. How did your fantasy seasons go? Uh, how many how many leagues did you wind up in? I'm in a bunch of leagues, so it kind of just depends on how you count it. Because I do like. A couple random, you know, like charity st- style leagues where you're in, a, you're sort of like a pro am or whatever, and so those are really fun. Um, so I would say I'm in about twenty, and I won three, so that's like fine. Is that a good number <laughs> if you're in twenty and you win know. three? Who knows? Twenty. <laughs> I would say I would say probably like average to a little bit below average. You have like an eight percent chance of winning a twelve man league or whatever, so. <laughs> You know, three out of 20 is fine. Dude, I was in three leagues one year and was like, ah, I can't. Yeah, I was in I was in four and I'm probably going to get kicked out of them. And one of them was also a kickers only league, which I can't recommend enough. Like, great. (laughs) That's the that's like the exact opposite of what I'm looking for. No offense. (laughs) But it's it's just a fun opportunity for us to like joke about the value of kickers and and all of that. My co-host Danny Heifetz and I have like this ongoing feud because I hate kicker leagues, and so he, he like <laughs> loves kickers. So you probably you definitely could convince Heifetz to do that, though. I want to start a league, and I promise we'll get to Niner Seahawks. But I want to, <laughs> I want to start. I want to do one of those leagues that's like bad stuff, 
Yeah. So you get points for like incompletions yeah, yeah, yeah. and interceptions and stuff. I really want to put one of those. Together. We had we've done the bad QB league before for like FanDuel. Um, right. Where that was fun. essentially you get points for turnovers and you know sacks and bad stuff is <laughs> really fun. Yeah, and there were like different tiers every week. Yeah, that was that was like that Sam was Darnold was awesome in that league. <laughs> Just QB one. Yeah. Um. Hey, are the the Seahawks and 49ers are playing for the third time? Mm. And we were talking a little bit about it the other night. And you didn't seem super confident in <laughs> in the Seahawks. Let's start. Let's, I guess, let's start here. Mm-hmm. Are they better now than they were when they played in week 15? Um, I don't know if there's a huge difference, to be honest. You know, they the Seahawks season has kind of been funny because they started out the offense got hot the defense was terrible and then for like a stretch there the defense and the offense were both really good and then that was like when Seahawks fans started getting their hopes up you know and being like well this team might actually be like legitimately good and then after they went to Germany and played the Buccaneers you know I don't know what happened in Germany maybe they did some like blood you know doping or something like that in Germany you know you never know really what happens in Germany but um after that the defense completely just fell apart and started sucking again um which is probably closer to what they actually are versus you know there was probably a little bit of variance there and during the middle of the year when they were looking really good i think that they're not a very good defense they don't tackle very well um not very fundamentally sound which is weird for a Pete carroll defense um it's just like weird to watch because typically they've been so just like really good fundamentals great tacklers play hard rally to the football all that like all those cliches that's been a big part of what they do for years and years and years um but they just don't have as much talent as they used to frankly and so um i'm worried at the bottom at at the end of the day i'm worried about the matchup with you guys in terms of the front line like the the trenches i think is heavily slanted towards the 49ers for the seahawks and so they're gonna i think they're gonna have a hard time dealing with that i keep saying over and over this week if the Seahawks are going to win, it's going to be because they win on some like variance, like some weird play, some fumble, kickoff return, whatever it is. Um, I think that they're overmatched, but in division games, especially like sometimes it just doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think one of the interesting things as the week goes on is just looking at the weather report and like how. Um, you know, it's going it, to, there's going to be rain, there's going to be wind. And yeah, one, yeah. one of the big th- themes for the 49ers, I think, over this stretch of the season with Brock Purdy, a quarterback in particular, has been the turnover ratio. And um, I, I think what you're talking about in terms of variance has a lot to do with turnovers, right? And I think the the weather could potentially impact turnovers. Um, I mean, it, it rains a lot in Seattle. Generally, what's your what's your feeling on Seattle just as as a weather team? Like, is is that something that could potentially play to their advantage? Or do you think yeah. the 49ers advantage in the trenches would be heightened based on the weather? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know if we have enough sample size, to be honest. If, if it was Russell Wilson still, I would say we have a disadvantage because of the weather. Like going back through history, it felt like Wilson would always struggle when it was like super rainy or windy or whatever. Um, now with Gino, you know, I don't really have a strong you know, sense of what he, how, how good he is in the, in the rain and all that. I do feel pretty confident um, in him just generally speaking, because he's been so good at the pre-snap stuff this year. He's been so good at just running the offense the way that they call it. Um, if it does turn into like a slog fest, 
I do think Kenneth Walker is really good. So that could be something that the Seahawks really lean on. Obviously, I'm not going to say he's better than Christian McCaffrey, um, but he's a really good running back and he can create explosive plays. So maybe that will be a way that the Seahawks at least can go punch for punch with the 49ers. And if it turns into like a slog ground game, you know, if, if it's rainy and windy and they're just really not trying to pass it a lot, like both teams are sort of playing conservatively. I think that's, that is the way the Seahawks could go punch for punch with the 49ers. Are Charles Cross and Abe Lucas are you're the the rookie tackles for mm-hmm. for Seattle? They've got they've drawn rave reviews. Yeah, are they good, like good or good for <laughs> rookies? Um, I would say probably closer to the latter, somewhere in the middle. To be okay. like honest, like I think they are good. Like they would, I would say they're probably like around league average in terms of tackles, but that's really good for rookies, right? And and mm-hmm. getting two of them. Uh, in the draft is really exciting because the Seahawks offense Seahawks offensive line is, you know, there, and I guess you could obviously question like some of the offensive line issues were related to the quarterback for years, but the Seahawks offensive line generally speaking has not been good for a long time. And so getting two tackles that you can have as good, like at least average starters is a really good thing. I think cross has the potential to be elite. Um, and I think he's going to be like, I'd love cross coming into the draft. He was my favorite pass protecting offensive lineman in the draft and you can really see you know the potential and the flashes of high level high level play there i think both him and, and lucas have sort of hit i don't know if hit the rookie wall or whatever they've regressed slightly as the year's gone on because they they definitely looked really really good at the beginning of the year and then as the year's gone on you know there's been more pass protection issues i think the pressure's kind of gone up a little bit and so um I, you know, I, I don't have like the PFF numbers in front of me, but I think that they're both probably somewhere right in the middle there um, in terms of like their, their grades. And, and I think that that's really, really positive for the Seahawks overall. I want to get back to Geno Smith a little bit um, because, you know, obviously a guy completing 70% of his throws, throwing 30 touchdowns and just 11 picks is a pretty good season by just about any measure. Um, but you go back through his career and, you know, particularly in New York, and obviously he was a much younger player then, but over uh, 30 games, 28 touchdowns, 36 picks. Um, which version yeah. of Gino do you think is is more is more like the real Gino? Like, do you think he played sort of above what he's capable of and he's going to come back to earth at some point? Or do you think this is the quarterback that the Seahawks should expect to have going forward and, and even Saturday? Yeah, that's that is like the thirty million dollar question, you know, for you for, for the Seahawks. Um, I tend to think, and and again, I'm not trying to like fence it. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think he he is much better than he was early in his career, and and a lot of that has to do with just like he's you know matured. He's gotten so much better at like knowing offenses back backwards and forwards, and just knowing all the pre-snap stuff and just being a veteran and having been here and having taken the reps and learned that way. I think he's, he's just obviously much better from the mental part of the game um, as he was early in his career. Um, But at the same time, the way that we, the thing that we saw from, from Gino in the beginning of the year, I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback necessarily. I mean, I think he has that ceiling potentially if, if all the variables are right. Um, but I, I do think that there he's probably in, in my Seahawks group chats talked about this a lot. There's probably he, he's due to regress. Like he's thrown a lot of pickable passes, but that's that have haven't been picked or whatever. Um, and so you've seen over the last like month and a half, six weeks or whatever, you know, 
more turnovers from him and more like throws where you're like, come on, what were you like looking at there? You know what I mean? And so he's regressed a little bit in that sense. So I'd say, you know, it's somewhere in the middle. I don't think he is who he was at the beginning where he's, you know, tossing more picks than his touchdowns. But I do think, you know, it's probably not realistic to expect him to be like this top 10 elite, elite quarterback long-term. I think getting again, like league average starter, is really valuable in the NFL, maybe like top 15, top 12 as your ceiling. And then like that to me is like you struck gold because this guy was literally signed for like $3 million. He earned a bunch of um, escalators and he earned $7 million this year to be like a pretty damn good quarterback. So um, that from that context, I think in that context, like they absolutely struck gold. And I believe that they should re-sign him uh, regardless of what they do in the draft. A couple things on this. One, your colleague Stephen Ruiz, for what it's worth, big Juno Smith guy, yeah. does not feel like Juno has regressed and blame the rest of the offense. Yeah. I mean, and Which, honestly, like he love is your thoughts on digging deep, deep, deep into the into the tape. And so like I respect right. that tape, like or that take. Um, I would say maybe I'm just focusing a little bit too much on like a few of the throws where it was clearly like his fault. Sure. Um, but I do think Steven and I would agree with Steven, like there's a lot of variables that go into it. And, you know, there was one pick, I can't remember. It was a couple of weeks ago where it, it looked like they just weren't on the same page as the receiver and him. So there's a lot of stuff like that where you kind of have to, I guess, know more about what's going on to like assign blame. Um, mm-hmm. so maybe we have different opinions on, on, on kind of what happened there, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, like I side more with Ruiz in terms of like, I think he's a really good, I, I think he's like sure. a good quarterback. I think he's much better than he certainly was early in his career. And I think he's worth re-signing and worth that $30 million a year, um, that he's probably going to command somewhere. So I, I would say like, even though if we're not maybe like on the same page exactly about the turnovers and the regression, um, I think we both agree that he's like a pretty legit quarterback for what it's worth real quick. I know Josh Allen played one fewer game, but exact same amount of yards as Geno Smith this year. Really? And Geno <laughs> Smith weird. was 0.1 fewer yards per attempt. And they had the exact same amount of turnover worthy plays per PFF. So basically yeah. the Niners are facing Josh Allen this weekend. What I'm <laughs> Minus the running. What is, what's the running difference here? That, uh, that, I, that I he, don't have on me. He brings quite a bit on that in in that area. Um, Gina was around yeah. a little bit. I mean, he he's a scrambler. I would say he's he's definitely yeah. like a, an effective scrambler. He can make those types of plays where it's really demoralizing for a defense because you got everybody hemmed up and you're looking good and the 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 coverage is perfect and then somebody just lets him slip out of the pocket and he and he runs like 15 yards for a first down. Like that's got to be the most demoralizing thing. He can definitely do that. Um, and so. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm just at the same time, like, I'm still just trying to like be rational about Gino because I really like him. Like, I'm just trying not to go overboard, I guess, really about like my excitement about what Gino can do. So where where are you at with, with Pete Carroll, particularly as like a postseason coach? Because, um, <laughs> yeah. like I, I find Pete fascinating because I have a lot of respect for what he's done just sort of as a, as a defensive guy, first and foremost, and then coming into the season, like, you know, we talked with Joe, like wondering, are are the Seahawks tanking? Like, are they going to be the worst team in the league this year? And now, you know, we're talking about them in, in a playoff game in a playoff yeah. scenario with Geno Smith coming off a 4,300 yard season almost Yeah, like game management. There's a, there's some questionable fourth down decisions and Pete generally tends towards being very conservative in those areas, but just 
Well, what's your evaluation of, of Pete this season and your confidence level in his game management come Saturday? <laughs> game management. So nobody's perfect. I'll say that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think Pete Carroll, like he, especially after this year, because there was obviously, you know, among Seahawks fans and, and Seahawks Twitter and, and my friend group, like basically there's a lot of like, what what's what's the deal with Pete Carroll? Like, are we in or are we out on Pete Carroll? There was definitely some some waffling and like, you know, I think when Pete when Russell Wilson was traded, the knee jerk reaction and it was definitely like they really traded away the franchise quarterback in, in favor of Pete Carroll and that is looking like a terrible decision. Hindsight is clear now that was the correct decision, of course. Um, but I've always uh, yeah, like I'm always kind of like the same. I've always really respected Pete Carroll for his ability to program build to, you know, like cultivate the culture of a team to um, like, he does, he's like almost like the Phil Jackson, like the, the guru style thing where he's like really, really into like confidence and visualization and all that really high level stuff that like, you'd expect like a head coach to be in charge of. And then he sort of delegates the scheme and stuff. And, and, but then he like interjects during games and like makes these really stupid decisions on like timeouts <laughs> and whatever. Um, so like top level, like I really think he's one of the better coaches of all time, honestly, just like, like top, top level stuff um, in game decision-making that would be like one of his Achilles Hills, I would say, but um, you know, overall, like it's hard to complain too much about what he's done because he's, he's just been so incredibly consistent at, at getting guys to play really hard. Um, you know, he's really good at like keeping games close and all that stuff. And, and obviously he's had a ton of success both at the college and the NFL level. So it's like hard to kind of like pick, pick nits on like what he's doing in like the fourth quarter or like a fourth down or whatever. Um, but obviously we do because it's annoying. Um, he just, <laughs> he just blows, blows timeouts. Like he's got a million of them or whatever. It's just so annoying. But, um, but yeah, like overall pretty confident. I mean, obviously he's had a lot of playoff experience. Um, and he's, he's won a lot in the playoffs. So, you know, generally I'm, I'm pretty confident in him. Did you, did the Seattle area ever get to the bottom of why he was wearing a hat in week 18? Apparently cause it was raining, which <laughs> he said, okay, that was my reaction. It rained. So it rains in Seattle. I mean, I, you might've heard it's kind of a rainy city. <laughs> get out. Um, but he uh, the way that we've looked at it is I we can identify one game in the, the last 10 years. It was literally in 2010 when he had a hat on like a hat hat. He's he's worn visors. He's worn beanies. And apparently he's worn like a wicker hat back in USC days, like one of those like, you know, golf hats or whatever. The ultimate like college football spring ball practice. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um but never i've literally never seen him in a hat before other than that one game i guess which i'm not even sure that was real that might be like did AI did they win that game do you know i think they did win that game okay so um maybe he's just like digging deep in like the you know the the thing that pissed me off was it was like just set upon his head and kind of askew doesn't know it how wasn't to even, wear a hat it wasn't even on <laughs> like it's like oh, oh. he literally said i hate wearing hats then don't There's, put on, there, put I'm still trying to get to the bottom of this. Nothing is adding up. It's weird. Um, why would you all of a sudden like start wearing a hat 13, 12, 10 years into your tenure in Seattle? Like it rains a lot here. He, I've seen him in many rain games. His hair is just sopping wet or like he'll put up his hood or something, but he just doesn't like wearing hats. So huh. with, 
with, with a weird thing. I think an inch of rain is expected on Saturday. Are you expecting Pete to wear a hat? I kind of believe I better. This is big time. There's like a whole, you know, superstition <laughs> variable to this too. Like if he's not wearing this a could hat, change like the that's, line. That's going to be massive. Like it could be really devastating. Uh, he was wearing his hat backwards in the press conference today. So it seems as though he's like a hat guy now. Hmm. This is this is fascinating. I reject this. As a hat guy, I reject he, this. If he came to work with black hair and didn't say anything about it. Dude, we we see the hair. Like this is the same deal with the hat. Like, what's going on with the hat, man? No one gonna address this. (laughs) Um, Sounds like I think you should leave the. All right, I got. I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. We in our last episode looked up Tariq Woolen's spider graph, bro. Um, and it's 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 Taylor Mays esque. Um, I know, I know 49ers <laughs> fans remember Taylor Mays. Name, I'm sure, I'm sure you do too. Well, Taylor Mays is kind of like the ultimate spider graph guy. Like he's at like yeah. 96% and everything. Tariq Wollins. Yeah. But bad at football. <laughs> Tariq Wollins, basically the same thing, oh, but wow. good at football. Um, as a draft guy and, uh, obviously a, a well-versed Seahawks fan. Like, can you tell us about Tariq Wollin and how he slid yeah. as far as he did in the draft? And do you think he's going to be like a perennial i don't know pro bowl type guy yeah i mean i think so obviously a lot can happen and you know it's unpredictable but what we've seen from this year is like really really encouraging like he's just been i think the big thing is his ability to adapt and get a feel for like the way that the seahawks want to play defense because sometimes that's difficult for guys like over the years and obviously their defense has changed a little bit over the years. Um, but, you know, I guess like the, the responsibilities that the corners have in this defense and, and things like that, the way that they play, the way that they play press, um, some guys just don't get it and some guys do. It really seems like he has a knack for, um, you know, like sp- splitting the difference between a couple of routes um, when you're in zone looks down the field and like coming out, like we saw with Richard Sherman forever. Like he, he was just, uh, has the ability to like almost like, you know, play directly between two routes and has that route recognition and, and the ability to like anticipate where the routes are going and like put himself in the perfect position to not only uh, convince a quarterback to throw the football, but then break on it and intercept the football. So he's got that kind of knack for that. Um, And as for how the Seahawks managed to get him, like, honestly, so I had him 85th in my rankings coming into the draft, which was actually, I think on the high side, and he um, went he went one fifty third overall in the fifth round. Yeah, which is wow. I don't like honestly. I don't know how that happens because he was he's big, tall, and elite elite athlete. Usually, guys like that will go earlier. Like, yeah. not even talking about the tape. Like, just a guy who runs like a four two right. at six four is going to go earlier typically. So it was, it was kind of a strange thing. Um, and the CX were frankly pretty lucky to get him. I guess it was you know partly he was playing at a small school. Um, you know, he's a little bit older for a prospect. So maybe people were a little bit scared off by that. But like at the end of the day, he definitely should have been a day two pick. And and clearly now, like if we seeing what he's doing, like much, much earlier, like he's just, he's, he's so good. He's got that knack for their defense. He uses his length extremely well. Um, just the instincts, length and athleticism combined makes him like, it's just really hard to throw on him right now. There was a that shot of him before the Niners Seahawks Thursday night game, and he's chopping it up with Richard Sherman. 
and he was like jarringly bigger than Richard Sherman. <laughs> yeah. It was wild to see because Sherman, Sherman's like six three, dude. Yeah, Sherman's yeah, Sherman's huge. not small. And Woolen just looked massive next to him. It's, <laughs> it's like, like oh my, the, that uh, guy runs a four two six. The Derrick Henry like Mark Ingram overall. picture. Yeah. Yes. It, <laughs> yes. It looked a lot like that. I mean, um, yeah. Maybe honestly, like maybe that's why he fell in the draft. Is like this guy's just too big to play corner, and we don't know what to do with him at safety or whatever. Like, do we turn him into receiver? I I was actually thinking someone could turn him into receiver. Mm. Um, but yeah, just because I mean, like six foot four guy who can run a four two, like why not try? Um, but that's just peak Seahawks though. Know, like, oh, that cool. corner is a giant. Great. <laughs> see if we can make it work. Yeah, round yeah. five, good pick. Like the it's like the St. Louis Cardinals and pitchers that throw a hundred. There's like, ah, throw him in there, see what happens. <laughs> the Seahawks uh, aura of corners has died off, though, over the years, you know, because like Brandon Brown early on, they had Richard Sherman, and then everyone was like, oh, we got to get a six foot three guy, you know, in the third and fourth, fifth round and turn him into the next Pro Bowl, all pro guy. And there's a bunch of just terrible picks in that area. Like, <laughs> um, I can't even remember off the top of my head. Uh, Jean, uh, hold on. There was a guy from the Saints. Baptiste or something. I'm I'm totally blanking. Gene Gene Baptiste. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a Jean bunch Baptiste, of guys yeah. that were sort of in the in the Richard Sherman like mold that weren't really good oh, at yeah. football. Right. Um the Seahawks had a couple of those too. I was like Brandon anyway. Browner left the Seahawks and just fell off the face of the earth. Well, he he is in prison now. Oh. So <laughs> a little awkward to talk about that. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Um and that so Gene Baptiste he's not, guy he's not, for sure. You know, out and about. Um but yeah. Uh, I meant like before that. Right, right. Oh, okay, right. gonna do it. Gonna do a smooth transition away from away from prison. Um, DK Metcalf. It's kind of an interesting not season, in prison and not in prison. Decidedly not in prison. Um, a good year, like ninety catches, a uh, thousand forty-eight yards, ten touchdowns down from twelve last year and ten the year before. We talked about Geno Smith and his productivity, but somewhat of a down season and it's not even you know i mean dk set the bar really high with his previous two years right but where where are you at on on the type of season that dk metcalf had because a, a big reason the 49ers were successful in that thursday night game a few weeks ago was because Traverius ward played dk metcalf pretty well mm-hmm. um is that i mean where, where are you at with dk in terms of just what he was like this year relative to his to his last three yeah, he's been a little hot and cold, I would say. Um, I'm gonna, I was going to pull up his game log, but like it, it, it does feel like he it either has like a huge game or is a little bit invisible. And so, um, like the last few games, three catches, forty yards. The game before that, one catch for three yards. Um, you know, so it it, it kind of hit or miss. And he's one of those guys who is a little bit dependent on like the big play, obviously. And and going back last year and the years before him and Russell Wilson were like the perfect match because Wilson, you know, bless his heart was an amazing, <laughs> amazing deep throw pass, uh, deep pass thrower and all that. And so like, that was like the perfect, perfect marriage between this receiver who is six foot five or whatever he is, 230 pounds. who can run a four, 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 three, just an elite, elite downfield um, pass catcher. And, and like pairing that with Russell Wilson, who like was really good at that for a really long time and probably is still good at it. But um you know, that was, I think, why we saw such incredible production with, with DK. And now he's sort of having to adapt to Geno Smith style, which is definitely more short and intermediate, um, you know, attack the middle of the field, 
you know, things like that, like backside digs, th- that kind of offense is, is a little different than what DK Metcalf, I think, has excelled with in the past. I think he's making strides, honestly. Um, and you kind of see him becoming a better route runner and better separator. Um, but there's definitely times where I think Lockett is maybe like a little bit more of a focal point because he can get open at all three levels. He's a little bit better route runner, all that stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, I don't think he had a down year, but he, he definitely like had to adapt to like a new style of quarterback. If that makes sense. Are you more concerned? Just a couple more here and then we'll, and then we'll get you out of here. But are you more concerned because the Niners right now have kind of hit a stride really on, on both sides of the ball. They're scoring 30 yeah. points a game. I think it is over the, <laughs> over their last six or whatever it is. Um, or I guess since week eight, they're scoring like 30 and a half points a game. And defensively, they've obviously been really good all year. Are you more concerned about the Seahawks stopping the Niners or scoring on them? Um, I can't say both. I have to choose one. You have to um, pick one. <laughs> oh, it's a very serious podcast. I, I I suppose I'm more worried about the defense. I'm more worried about it's. I'm, I'm worried defense? that the 49ers are going to get ahead and then just keep the foot on the gas kind of deal and it's just gonna like the CX are not gonna be able to keep up with it because i'm less confident in the CX defense if that makes sense like i'm pretty confident sure. in the CX offense like i think the CX offense is pretty good obviously the 49ers defense is the best in the nfl so that's gonna be a massive challenge but it's also one of the best offenses in the nfl and the seahawks a team who going back to what i said earlier like i don't have confidence in them as a tackling team they have christian mccaffrey Devo samuel brandon Ayuk, and george kittle like that is the worst possible situation <laughs> for a team that I have not very much confidence in, and they're tackling right. and like their angles and things like that. So that to me is worrisome. They are going to get, uh, sounds like they're going to get Ryan Neal back safety and he's been really good. Um, and maybe that'll be like a, a nice addition, but um, yeah, that, that to me is a little bit worrisome, but you know, I guess like Seahawks fans p- pinning their hopes on like Brock Purdy falling back to earth precipitously or something like that in this game and turning it over and kind of just winning on the margins that way. So it sounds like you're not super optimistic about the game from a Seahawks perspective. No, not really. I mean, I do think, you know, they're, I think they have the ability and it wouldn't be like, you know, the craziest upset in the world if they won. I do think in these, in these division games, you know, obviously and they've have a long story, you know, rivalry or whatever, like anything can happen and weird stuff happens in bad weather games. And so I think it is certainly possible that CX win, but like, like I said before, like they are overmatched, like the 49ers are just an absolute juggernaut right now. Um, and so, uh, sorry, my dog is shaking around in the background here. Um, okay. We love this. Dogs. Is, yeah. This dog is a pro <laughs> pro dog podcast for sure. That's George. He's getting antsy. Um, <laughs> George is a great dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like honestly, just looking at it on paper, like I said, the offense, you guys, offense is just bristling with elite skill talent, um, skill player talent. Um, the defense, obviously one of the best defenses in the NFL, a little bit worried about the trench battle. A little bit worried about tackling. Um, yeah, I think the Seahawks are going to have Other to win on variance. So yeah. <laughs> now you brought this up with uh, I believe is it was it. Um, shoot, you were on a podcast, and they posted a clip today. And oh, I can't Lindsay Rhodes. Lindsay Rhodes. Thank you. Colleen yeah. Wolf was the only name I could think of, and I was like, that's an incorrect. Uh, Lindsay <laughs> Rhodes. Um, <laughs> And you mentioned that one of the things you're you lean on is the fact that the Seahawks for now, like 
more than a decade have yeah. kind of dominated this matchup. And the Niners won the last two. But prior to that, I think the Seahawks have won like four in a row or five in a row. Um, it's- Yeah, it was like if you if you like zoom in to the last like three years or whatever, it's pretty even. But then going mm-hmm. back, if you go back to like 2012, the Seahawks yeah, have won crazy. like 90 percent of the games. It's like crazy that they had this weird dominant dominant run against the 49ers. Um, How much do you think that matters? I don't know. It's one of those things where in the NFC West, like as a Seahawks fan, I'm always afraid the Seahawks are going to lose to the Rams. No matter how bad they are, no matter how injured they are, no matter who's starting at quarterback, I'm always like the Rams have the Seahawks number. It doesn't even matter who's the coach. Like it was Jeff Fisher. They were still beating the Seahawks. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And so there's a little bit, it's more like superstition, I guess, but like there's a little bit to it that um, maybe Pete Carroll among a lot of coaches like has Shanahan's number a little bit more than like some other guys. There's maybe that element. Um, But at the same time, I was looking back, if you zoom in on eras, so basically from like 2012 to 2018, and this was like obviously peak LOB era into as it went on. And then the LOB kind of fell apart slowly and, and, you know, whatever it, it it slowly got much worse. But during that stretch, I want to say the Seahawks were like, 12 and three against the 49ers. I was, I was looking it up the other day, so I'm doing it off the top of my head, but it was something like 12 and three. And they, in those wins, they'd given up like 11 points. So it was like yeah. the defense dominated, absolutely dominated. And so will this team do that? Eh, probably not. <laughs> right. I think this is just like depending too much on the LOB numbers, probably. It's so bad that I can off the top of my head name all the times the Niners have beat the Seahawks since I turned 21 and I'm 32. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was, I was, I was just looking back at the games, man. There was like a few games that were like, I think there was three in a row where the Seahawks held the 49ers to seven, three and seven. Yeah. It's like, man, if yeah. you have that, if you have that kind of defense, like it's the Niners were so bad. So from like 14 yeah. through. Yeah. 14. I have, I have the head to head in front of me. So from 2010 to 2012, the Niners won four in a row. Right. Then the Seahawks won two straight. Um, basically, since uh, this December twenty third, two thousand twelve, the the Niners have beaten the Seahawks one, two, three, four, six times out of like I don't know, like a lot the of twenty two matchups. <laughs> yeah, December 20, was that December twenty third game was the was that the big blowout game? Yes, it was 40, 42, 13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was in, Sunday Night Football. Seattle. Yeah. That was the one where like Marshawn Lynch like walked into the end zone. Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. Even, so, even though even in 2011, the Niners played the Seahawks in Seattle and Tavares Jackson, uh, RIP, started for Seattle. And the Niners had this streak of like 27 games in a row or something where they hadn't allowed a 100-yard rusher. Oh, yeah, yeah, Marshawn yeah. went for like 96 in the first half. They just could not stop him. And then Larry Grant, who was playing for Patrick Willis, had to like get a strip sack late, and the Niners kicked a late field goal. They like barely hung on, and they were way the better team. Then. That's that's known as when Crabtree saved Christmas. I think that was a Christmas Eve game in 2011. Yes, it Man, was the first time some... I could ever drink on Christmas. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> there was some really great like matchups in the 2010s. That arrow that was just like such a fun, fun rivalry. I'm hoping that it gets back to that someday because obviously yeah. it's totally different now, but. Um, Man, they're like the early 2010s were so so fun. Sure. What was crazy was how fast it fell off. Like it it yeah. peaked with the NFC title game, and that was such a peak. And then it just 
just cratered. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of kind of how Jim Harbaugh's tenure went. Um, okay, let's. <laughs> Fair. Let's oh, get. Wait. <laughs> let's get uh let's get Danny out on this. So it sounds like you think the Niners are going to to win on Saturday. I guess that can allow me to ask you where you feel the Niners are sort of in the pecking order of mm. I guess the NFC against, you know, how you would compare them to the Eagles and maybe zooming out a little bit more how how you would compare them against, you know, the Chiefs, the Bills and and maybe the Bengals. Yeah, I think obviously the Eagles have the advantage, at least on paper, in terms of the quarterback. You know what I mean? Um, otherwise, like both of these teams are pretty freaking stacked and like really balanced. But if I'm really going to have to choose like who I'm starting at quarterback, it's going to be Jalen Hurts because he just is um, so, so dynamic, both with his arm and, and with his legs. And so um, that's not to me- that's not really to take away from Purdy because Purdy's been, I mean, like weirdly impressive like i i really don't know what to make of the whole pretty thing i feel like most especially in the fantasy world but it, like in the nfl coverage world i tend to like compartmentalize like there's 31 teams and then there's like the shanahan quarterbacks you know what i mean like, <laughs> i don't know what to make of the shanahan quarterbacks no matter who he puts back there they're gonna throw like eight and a half yards per attempt they're gonna have 108 passer rating they can be it doesn't matter they can literally be the last pick of the draft and they're going to go in there and just like do whatever. So um, I, I really don't know what to make of the Purdy thing. Like, what do you guys, I guess, what do you guys think of Purdy? Like, is this totally just fake or is he like legitimately good? I'm somewhere between, me, <laughs> I'm, I'm somewhere between Brock Purdy is the next Tom Brady or Case Keenum. Like one of the two. Right, that's, right. that's about where I'm at. No in between. <laughs> I mean, Ke- Keenum put together a really good year. I mean, you know right. I mean? That's, that's kind of like, I think the most analogous season to this is, is Keenum in 2017 with the Vikings because he yeah. was the third string guy. I actually think their skill sets are a little bit similar. Like stylistically, they totally. play kind of a similar brand. Um, and Keenum was really, right. Yeah. Keenum was, was really good. But then the difference was, you know, Purdy's going to be with the 49ers for the foreseeable future. Keenum went to Denver as their starting quarterback after that run in Minnesota. And, you know, who's to say that he wouldn't have continued to play well had he stayed with the Vikings. Um, So I, you know, I don't know, like the NFL is so weird, right? Because we see this all the time. Like Nick Foles won a Super Bowl and then now he's like a backup perennially. So like, you know, Brock terrible when he came in too. right exactly so it's like <laughs> if brock purdy could be awesome he could win the 49ers a super bowl and yet i have no idea what it's going to look like beyond that so um i Man. think yeah, I, yeah. I i think it's kind of like you know I, I know a lot of 49ers fans love and we've had the conversation like every podcast like what the future is going to look like at quarterback it's kind of impossible to say because you never know what what's really going to happen like maybe trey lance has the world's best offseason and then looks so good in training camp where it's like they kind of have to play Trey Lance or or Purdy's just so good where it's like Trey Lance ends up getting buried and and whatever like so much can happen I think for right now the important thing is to just like kind of focus on the playoffs and enjoy what they have right now because yeah the future is so uncertain but yeah like I could see it being Case Keenum or I could see him being a guy who's the 49ers starter for the next decade I honestly have no idea <laughs> That's so his crazy. ability his ability to take care of the ball is something mm-hmm. that I think is just always going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And he creates way more than I thought he was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And like those two things. Or... Yeah. Yeah. The the problem is, and, and to Chris's point, what is it like? 
okay, maybe he elevates the 49ers ceiling in the way they were hoping Trey Lance could, right? Like, obviously, he doesn't have the physical tools, but, like, okay, creating out of structure and mm-hmm. um, just not not making the, the bad plays that Jimmy Garoppolo made. Uh, the issue is they were hoping Lance would become a Josh Allen type of guy where, okay, you don't need a top three defense. You don't need Debo and McCaffrey and Kittle and all these guys. You don't need to be loaded. This guy's going to be the rising tide that lifts all boats. Right, right. I'm not – my reservations with Purdy is whether he can be that. And I don't – I mean, that's I, a good – that's fine. That's a good problem to have. Like, right, right. So yeah. if you're going to build, keep building awesome rosters, and yeah, I think he can I think he can be fine. But it's yeah. – like Chris said, what does it look like in, in four or five years? Yeah, yeah I, that, that's, uh, that's always the hard part in the NFL too is like – you alluded to this is like a sort of a once in a lifetime situation and skill player talent for the 49ers and obviously yeah. having a defense to back that up like it's not easy to keep a, an elite defense together in the first in the first place you have to hit draft picks and then you have to sign guys and you have to manage the cap and all that right. um in addition to the fact that you guys have like maybe the most incredibly awesome like, collection of skill player ever assembled like Kittle, <laughs> Debo Chris McCaffrey and, and Ayuku is probably like the most underrated player in the NFL. He's honestly. just open always. Yeah. He might be. Yeah. It's like so incredible. Plus you have the best left tackle in the NFL. Like when does this ever happen? This never happens. And so they're loaded. Keeping it together is of course going to be the hard part. So, um, but yeah, I mean like enjoy it while you can, but back to your point or back to your question earlier, I would say the 49ers to me, are the walking cliche of like they have they are built to win in the postseason they can play defense they can sack they can rush with four and get to you they can take away the middle of the field make it very difficult on opposing quarterbacks to like complete passes um basically you're like forcing other teams to do like the most hard the hardest things you know um in addition to the fact that you have good offense if the offense falls off then then all bets are off i guess but um to me they can they can play with anybody um you know i, I think mahomes is probably the the i would just like fear mahomes the most the fear mahomes and the chiefs the most of any team in the nfl um but the 49ers look really they, they look built to like make a long playoff run as long as it's, like things keep like clicking where they're clicking right now so um they can compete with anybody danny kelly thanks so much uh for your yeah. time we kept you way longer than i said we were going to i'm sorry <laughs> oh, <that's okay>. uh, <laughs> Thanks, no Ed. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for hanging out, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again very soon when uh, when this game gets rolling. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, Thanks Danny. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.